Welcome back to Empathy Always Wins, the world's exclusive youth leadership podcast on empathy and wellness. Today, I am extremely delighted to have Tanvir Nasir. Tanvir Nasir is an internationally acclaimed keynote speaker and an award-winning leadership writer. He is the founder and CEO of Tanvir Nasir Leadership, a leadership corporate training and consulting firm that works with executives and managers to help them develop practical leadership and team building competencies to drive organizational growth and development. Tanvir's work and writings have been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, The Globe and Mail, The Economist Executive Education Navigator, CBC Radio Daybreak, Global News, and the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center. Tanvir is the recipient of several awards and recognitions as one of the world's top thinkers in the leadership sphere, including being recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership and management experts. His book, Leadership Vertigo, has received rave reviews and endorsements by many of today's top leadership thinkers and practitioners. Tanvir holds a Master of Science degree in Pathology from the Faculty of Medicine at McGill University and currently lives in Montreal, Canada, or Montréal, with his wife and their three daughters. Without further ado, I'm honored to welcome Tanvir Nasir to the show. This episode is brought to you by Empowering Media. Empowering Media is a Canadian boutique social media agency delivering results to purpose-driven changemakers and social enterprises in our global community. Hashtag create to empower to join the movement. Welcome, Tanvir, to Empathy Always Wins. I'd like to formally introduce you. And uh, first of all, thank you for being one of the first guests um, on the show. And thank you for believing in me personally. Um, First of all, just let's get deep into it and uh, and dive straight uh, into into why we're here. Um, I'd just like to ask you, first of all, could you talk a little bit more about how you um, how you got into leadership and, and and sort of dive a little bit deeper into who you are as as a person and, and why you've become passionate about uh, leadership, especially in the workplace? Sure. Um... It's actually interesting. I, I, it's a it's a, an idea that I've actually only recently, or I say, the last couple of years, actually thought of because at a, a keynote that I gave a few years ago during the Q and A, someone asked me the question. I'm curious to know how you got started. Like, what was it that got you into this? To your very question, what got you into this field, and and, and what was drove your interest to pursue this? And so I realized that I had never been asked this question. It was one of the first times where I'm like, hmm, I have to think about the answer. <laughs> and so I decided to pivot to, to answering it right away by asking people, uh, what do you think my background is, right? Just shout out what you think. And most people are saying, oh, you know, MBA, probably did a business degree somewhere, probably worked in some corporate environment and so forth. And so I was smiling as everyone was shouting out these different types of answers. And I said, I guess then a lot of you are going to be surprised to hear that my background is actually that of a pathologist. Wow. And then the people's eyes just went, what? Right? And I said, yeah, my, I graduated from the Faculty of Medicine at McGill University in pathology. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Wow. And I said, so, so everyone was like, well, I don't see. I don't get. Where, how do we... <laughs> 
Like this is like a plot twist I did not see coming. Oh my god. Where where are they go where are the writers going with this? I don't understand. I did not see this happen. And so I you know, I went on to explain how, you know, I then went on and said, Oh, it gets better, folks. So after doing that for a bit, where basically I was working on helping to diagnose patients, uh, whether their cancer treatment was working, whether that biopsy was actually cancerous or not. Uh, I actually went to the other end of the life cycle where uh, here in Montreal, one of our hospitals, we set up the, our first uh, in vitro fertilization clinic. And I worked as a clinical embryologist treating patients for infertility. And so I said, I enjoy doing that for a while because my wife, when she would bring me to her office parties and I'd be just standing in a corner and I didn't know anyone to come <laughs> to me. Oh, I'm going to go talk to that guy. He looks friendly. Uh, and then we start chit-chatting. And they say, so what do you do for a living? And I just look them straight in the eye, deadpan. <laughs> I make babies for a living. I get that polite nod. Um, and then I'm going to go over there. Um, <laughs> and my wife, the, 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 home, the car ride home was always fun because my wife would say to me, why do you have to do that? I'm like, do what? It says, when people ask you what you do, and I'm like, if I were to explain it in technical terms, their eyes glaze over. This way I'm being factual <laughs> and to the point. And I said, yes, but people don't, it's like, they don't know, they don't know how to process it. Well, you know, what would you prefer if I said, you know how your neighbors down the street have a baby? That could have been me who did that. <laughs> would that have helpful? Right? And she's like, it's, I just can't win this with you, right? So... I did that for a while. I moved into the uh, biomedical sector where I ended up going into management. Um, and that's where I got my management experience. Uh, but I, what I realized, and then I've, from there I went off and started my own company. And what I tell people is, if you look at the different things that I've done, there is a common thread that connects them all. And that is that there is this drive to help uh, people be better. Mm. Initially, it was people with their health and help them have a better quality of life. Then it was to help people begin the next chapter of their lives. I want to start, I want to become a parent. I want to have start a family. Mm. And then it became going into the biomedical sector where we were looking at finding ways of developing new treatments mm. to find ways to offer better alternatives and therapeutic cures uh, for people suffering various diseases. So throughout all these different positions, there was that underlying thread. It was never really fully articulated. Mm. But, and again, this, believe it or not, was all a self-realization I had on stage after giving a keynote. Wow. And I said to them, I, I'm beginning to realize that that's it. That's the connection. Because I had been talking in that talk about finding your purpose. And I said, I realized in sharing the story with you that this is the thread. I've always been driven by this innate desire to want to help people be better. Wow. And that's what I think helping people with leadership is all about. As a leader, your job is not just to achieve goals. It's not just to achieve your vision. It's to help your employees be that better version of who they can be. How can I be a better contributor to the shared purpose? How can I use my talents to contribute in a way that matters? That's what you as a leader are obligated to do. And that's what the best leaders do. If yeah. you think of any leader you've ever worked with, that's the thing, the common thread. They pushed me to do work I never thought I could do. They pushed me to achieve something I never thought I was possible of doing. Well, the only reason they did it is because they were trying to help you become that better version of who you are. Yeah. So 
Long story short, take about, I don't know, 15, 20 years and condense it into one answer. That's what I would say is how I got into the leadership sphere. And do you mind me just asking um, you one question? When was that realization? Because, you know, nowadays a lot of people are scared that they missed out on that bandwagon of finding who they are, their purpose and all that. Um, do you mind sharing when you, <laughs> when you <laughs> made that transition? Because you're obviously very successful right now in what you do and probably just as successful as a... Uh, as a doctor, as a, in, in the medical profession, how, like, when did you realize that it was the time uh, and at what age were you at? And what would you tell people that are having sort of a quarter life crisis <laughs> in, in their career? Well, you know, um, when I did my TED talk, so I did a TED talk talking about how there's this common um, piece of advice we give people, follow your passions right? And then you'll live a life of happiness and so forth. And I often point out to people, and that's what my TED Talk was, uh, it's not your passions you should be following. It should be finding your sense of purpose. What is it that intrinsically at the end of the day, this is, if I were to do this kind of work, if I was to contribute in this way, I feel like I'm making a difference. Mm. Um, because the thing is, we all know with passion, it starts off white hot. We're just so excited. We're so keyed up and so forth. But then as we do this work or we're involved in this relationship, it becomes just an everyday thing. It becomes our new normal. And so suddenly it starts to wane. So we have to then, oh, well, then you have to kick things up. You got to stir up the pot and so forth. But see, that's why purpose is so much more important. It's really about finding that innate need that all of us have. That's what's going to make us feel like we're making a difference. Once you're connected to that, you can have a bad day at work. And it's not going to matter because you know it's about the long game. It's not about, oh, how I feel today. Am I feeling happy today? Oh, I didn't feel happy today. Maybe I got re- to reflect and reorient my life. And so after I did this TED Talk, I had some people come up to me in, during the cocktail party afterwards. And so I had this one woman who was asking me, like, saying, you know, I really like this idea, but I don't know if I have a purpose. I don't know if there's something that I have that's this is what I'm meant to do. So I said, well, okay, can I ask you some questions? And she goes, okay, sure. So I said, can, do you remember like a, a, a job you did where you really enjoyed it and so forth? Like it was like, oh my God, you were like, it was probably a lot of work, but it's still like you felt like you had to deliver your best. And, she, and then she said, yeah, I do. So can you tell me about that? And so she started telling me about this type of job and so forth and that. And then I said, can you tell me about a time you worked for like your favorite boss? What kind what that work was like and so forth. And so she says, oh, this is a person. They challenged me. They pushed me. Oh, really? So what were they pushing you to do and so forth? And so I, was, she was, I said, I was having to do this. I was having to do that and such and so forth. Okay. Uh, and so now what are you doing? And then she started describing what she does now. And already I, she saw there was a smile breaking out of my face. And then she looks at me and goes, what? And I looked at her husband and I could see he was kind of like, wait a minute. Like I could see he was seeing the pieces. He just didn't know how to connect them, right? <laughs> and I said to her, I think you just explained to me why you're not feeling that great right now and you're not sure if you have a purpose because it sounds to me very much like what you're doing right now is not what you're supposed to be doing. And she goes, what do you mean? So I took what she had told me and shared back to her. So when you felt like you were really pushing yourself and so forth, you were doing this kind of work. And then when you're working for that boss, you really enjoy, you were doing this kind of work. Both these kinds of work involve this kind of contribution, this kind of effort. But see, now you're doing this, which is not at all related to it. Wow. So if, it, if, if you were me, I would say 
that your dream job, the one that I know, if I were to offer you, hey, I know this guy, I just met him, and he has a job, and it's to do this type of work, and I described it, okay? Would that be the kind of job you would want to do? Her husband was grinning. Wow. Because he's like, oh, I could I could see in his face. And I looked, I, I saw her look. She was like incredulous. So I looked, I pointed to her husband and says, judging by the look on your, your husband's face, I could tell that's your dream job, isn't it? And and he's like, then he starts nodding, like how the heck? like as if I was like uh, did a like I'm David Blaine, I did a magic trick, I and they're trying to figure out how did I just levitate in front of them? Wow! And um, and she's like, I don't understand. How did you know? And I said, I didn't know. You just told me. Wow! So I just listened to you, and you gave me the answer. And so she, so she's like, so I basically need, and then she repeated back a job where I get to do this. I said, it's what you told me. And, and then her husband goes, you're good, right? It's like, cause I'm not good. It's just, I listened to your wife and she just told me this. Yeah. And the, the best compliment I got was they had to leave. And as they're leaving, her husband goes, damn, I was really hoping to ask him if he could help me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, so he felt jilted because <laughs> his wife got, the, got it figured out right there. And it was like a fight in the conversation wow and he was like ah i was gonna ask him hey hey do me do me (laughs) (laughs) oh my oh my by the way we're gonna link the ted talk to this to 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 the show notes below for for the listeners out there that uh, are curious to to hear that so i would just say i know a lot of people we tend to tie it to where we are in our lives right did we just graduate university are we halfway through our career something like that and we have to realize that it has nothing to do with that. It's not about our age. It's not about where we are in this point in our lives. It's really about understanding that it's making the time to evaluate what it is that we want to do, uh, what is it that we want to accomplish, what's going to make us feel like we're taking those innate skills, some, that unique value proposition that's unique to us. Mm. And how are we going to contribute it? And that's a question we can ask ourselves at any point in time. We just have to make that effort. Yeah. And it's never too late um, with seeing, no. how, seeing how far you've come. Um, so thank you for sharing that, Tanvir. Uh, how about that? We're going to shift gears right now and dive deep into your book, uh, Le- Leadership Vertigo. Why even the best leaders go, of course, and how they can get back on track. You know, as soon as I... Um, I set, I set my sights on the book. There was one thing that really intrigued me. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw that out. Um, the term leadership vertigo. Can you explain the intention behind the book and, and the message? The term is a very intriguing term. What do you mean by leadership vertigo? I'd, I'd like to pick your brain on that. Oh, it's perfect. Um, I think it's going to fit very well to our conversation. Leadership vertigo essentially refers to this gap that exists between how a leader views their leadership and how their employees experience it. Okay, It proposes these moments where, as a leader, we'll convince ourselves, and I've seen this so many times uh, over my course of my career in helping work with leaders uh, in Canada and the United States address the problems they're having in the organization. Leaders will get convinced I'm providing the right resources, I'm providing the right conditions for to ensure my employees can get the work done, can achieve our goals. And yet if you talk to their employees, that is not at all their experience. It's not all experience. And so that's why there's this disconnect because we convince ourselves. You know, we read these articles, and I've had leaders say this to me where um, 
you know, they'll say, oh, you know, I, I've read these articles about how it's important to communicate and ask lots of questions, and I do that a lot. And then you go in and talk to their, their directors and so forth and say, the guy basically monologues 90% of the meeting. <laughs> when he asks a question, it's, all right, so we all good? We know what we want to do? Okay, great. Thanks, Ryan. Great meeting. And then they leave. That's like, uh... <laughs> You got what you asked the questions for the answers you needed, but not the, you didn't give us an opportunity to ask the questions to get the answers we needed, right? Right. And so there's this. This is what this whole notion of leadership vertical is about. It's about those times where, as leaders, we convince ourselves, no, no, no. no. I read this article on Inc. I read this this blog Tanver really put out. Yeah, I'm totally doing that. Mm. But then if we go talk to our employees, they say, no, that's not at all our experience. And again, I always tell people like, look, this is why a lot of times. When we hear about how um, uh, there's always these surveys that show a majority of employees will leave an organization, not because of the work, but because of their boss, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yes, there are some bad bosses out there. God knows I've had <laughs> a couple of them. I have a couple of horror stories of bad bosses. Uh. But there's also those bosses that are not necessarily intentionally trying to be bad. Uh, they're not just like, oh, you're just there to do my bidding so I can get stuff off my day. They are trying to look at this as a collaborative process, but the way they're going about doing that is not in a way that's really making it a collaborative effort. Mm. They really are being a little myopic in their frame of view of how they view their role and how they're viewing our interactions. And so this is what we were talking about when we talked about leadership for ago. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially with um, you know young leaders entering, entering the workforce and... Uh, you know, I, I personally uh, struggled with that uh, at a major bank uh, here in Canada. You know, there's there's a lot of gaps that sometimes um, could be because of the generational differences and, and, and our, our misconceptions. I know before the show we spoke we spoke a lot about the preconceived notions between you know uh, different generations. So, with with that being uh, said, what's one thing you would want young leaders entering the workforce to take away from? leadership vertical um i think it's important that you always be asking questions open-ended questions especially okay so not what we call confirming questions um is there like the one i just gave is everyone clear what we need to do um that a better question would be to ask what concerns do people have about this process, what are the challenges that you see in the next few days, next few weeks that we might be facing? And then once they give you the, okay, well, these are the things I'm worried about, don't answer with a solution, answer with another question. Mm. So, okay, so this looks like a potential problem. Does it, first of all, you can get consensus. Does everyone agree this could be a, a major issue? Okay, so what can we do? to meet it on since we see it coming we can anticipate unlike those ones where we can't anticipate what could we do what should we maybe change in our approach right now that could address it or what should we add to this this plan so that when these problems come up we have the resources we have the efforts into place and again you're putting it back to your employees to not to kind of see where they're where they're going with this because again they're the ones that are going to be employing this process this plan whatever so they're going to be looking at it from what they have available. So I would say that's the key thing is to always be asking more open-ended questions than confirming questions where you're basically trying to confirm what you already know or believe to be true. Mm. When you do that, it makes it easier for you to get out of what the thing I talked about in one of my talks to get out of your own head mm. and kind of really see and understand the realities of those around you. Mm. 
And what would you tell um, a Gen Z or a millennial that is struggling with their with their boss or their manager for not really having that openness and and having often rigid confrontations that they wouldn't really typically like what's what's one you know you've dealt with <laughs> and you've consulted many fortune 500 companies and you've probably experienced that um what's one thing that uh, our listeners can take away from all your from 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 your experience in, in dealing with that you know uh ali if i ever had like what's the the question you get asked most often yeah it's some variation of that i have a boss <laughs> And they're not doing this. And so how can I get them to change? Yeah. Right. That's essentially the thing. So I, I always tell people, like, look, uh, the bottom line doesn't matter what's your boss, your spouse, your friend, <laughs> your parents. You can't change people. Yeah. You can't change people. That doesn't mean we throw up our heads up in the air and go, oh, my God, I'm great. I'm stuck with this situation. No, what it means is we've got to ch- we, what we have to do is not we're focused on trying to change the person. we got to change our approach. 100%. Is what we have to do. 100%. So – what we should be looking at instead is, and in those moments where you're having a hard time, you know, basically finding a connection, if you're a Gen Z and you're having a hard time connecting with your boss, you're having a hard time getting them to see how it's really this kind of approach they need to take to really, for, for a better connection, for a better collaborative spirit, you have to change the perspective. Because right now, you're, you're the present to, what we're presenting to our bosses, okay, because you're doing it this way, I don't feel like I can deliver my best. I mean, unless it's in a, a, a conversation that is, where your boss is specifically asking for, what can I do to help you do better in this role? Unless they're asking that question genuinely and not asking it just because they, they're looking for you to say, oh, you're a great boss. I really enjoy what you're doing. They're just kind of <laughs> they're fishing for a compliment, okay? We've all had bosses like that. If they're really being genuine about it, then you can bring it up there. But if you don't have those conversations, which often when people ask me this question, I know they don't, which is why they have this problem. We have to pivot it and recognize that they're seeing things from their point of view. Again, this is mean a, a leader that's experiencing leadership vertigo. They think they're providing what's necessary, and they don't understand why you're having problems. Mm. So you then got to look at it from their vantage point. So they are just trying to get stuff off their to-do list, just like everyone's trying to get stuff off their to-do list. So how can you present an initiative they can take that would make them see it's going to benefit them in the context of getting stuff done. Yeah. Right. So now you see there's buy-in already. It's like if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, look, I have somebody here who's willing to take on this project. So you have one less thing to worry about. What person out there is going to say no to that? Oh, you want to do it? Fine. You take it. Thank God. I don't have to worry about that Mm. anymore. Right. Mm. You're going to be responsible. You're going to be accountable. Yep. Okay. You take it. Mm. I'm not going to think about it anymore. So that's how we have to pivot it. So it's less about, okay, well, you're not providing what I need. It's, okay, I found out if I if you can do this, this could help me get this off your plate. Mm. See, so now you're doing something to help your boss. Mm. But in the process, it's helping you. 100%. Right? So it's, it's making it so that you're presenting it to your boss as being something that benefits them Mm. but really what we're trying to do is shift how they approach something so that they're really giving us what we need to be able to be successful under their leadership Mm. so that it's again it's it might sound subtle but it's incredible how when you present it that way how much greater buy-in you get from these type of bosses because they're seeing this as being you're trying to help them and nobody who's it's going to take that away when their employees trying to come in and saying, look, I want to help get this done. 
and here, if I do it this way, this will help. Mm. And realistically, we're just pivoting how we're presenting something, saying that instead of saying, I need you to do this for me, I'm doing this for you because this will benefit you but I'm approaching it this way because really this is what I need you to provide for me. Yeah. And often it builds a personal relationship, right? It, it, it really sort of strengthens that uh, interpersonal relationship between you and your, and, and your boss, which essentially uh, usually uh, enhances your, your quality of life at work. You know, I found yeah, that. And when, when your boss sees your, your performance levels increase improving your your productivity is improving you're now becoming one of their star employees when you keep coming with these initiatives and they see how it's helping their team get the job done and obviously it's making you become more productive because you're getting what you need without <laughs> without articulating i'm doing this because this is what i need to work within your team yeah well, they're going to be more open to every time you come forward with these type of initiatives because it's helping them look good, 100%. right? So you're obviously changing the dynamic, mm. but you're taking the initiative. Yeah. And um, so on the show, we talk about empathy a lot. You know, the show is called Empathy Always Wins. And typically I ask um, our guests one question on empathy. Um, so our question for you today is, do you believe empathy is a winning characteristic or trait in successful leadership styles in the workplace uh, of today and over the next decade? Absolutely. In fact, it's one of the, there's a chapter in my book wow. where uh, Leadership Virgo, where we talk about how em- having a greater sense of empathy and actually more and more importantly, more specifically, compassion is critical for us to overcome this gap or narrow this gap that I refer to as being Leadership Vertigo between how we view our leadership and how we experience it. I mean, we have to recognize how thanks to technological advances, the main thing that's going to allow one company to succeed over their competition is no longer their processes. It's no longer their supply chain. It really comes down to their people, the people they have in their team, the people they have in their organization. So we're now going from a technology driven workplace to one that's more people driven. Mm. And it's hard to have a successful people driven organization if you have a lack of empathy. Because what empathy is about, and I think that's one of the things I always notice when I bring this up with uh, leaders, it's changed over the last 10 years. When I first brought this up 10 years ago, it was always like, oh, it's too touchy-feely. <laughs> I, I can't, I, there's, no, there's no KPIs, there's no metrics, there's nothing I can put on a spreadsheet to, for me to measure this, so I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think that over the last decade, there's been a, a, a greater acceptance of the importance of this. Typically, it tends to be packaged around conversations around emotional intelligence, mm. But I think it's become clear that if you really want to get the best out of your employees, you have to show a greater sense of empathy. But to understand that empathy means not that, oh, well, I now have to listen to what my employees are telling me and now I have to do something. I'm now, it's the onus is on me now to do something. We recognize, and what I often tell leaders is, is that when, we, when I talk about empathy, it's about recognizing that you're trying to get a better understanding of their reality, which again, this is why it's talked about in terms of leadership vertigo. Mm. It's about you getting beyond your perspective and understanding what's their reality. And the only way we could do that is by demonstrating more empathy. It's like, I want to understand what's your experiences. What's the reality? What are the challenges you face? Because where you are in the organization, these are the challenges you're facing. And when we have that better understanding we can then focus what resources we're putting. Because maybe we're putting resources into something, but it's only 30% effective. Mm. Well, if 
empathy, an understanding on employees' uh, realities allows you to pivot what kind of resources. You're not increasing, you're not, maybe, could be decreasing maybe, but you're basically focusing more what kind of resources you provide and it leads to an 80% effectiveness. Why wouldn't you do that? You're actually using your resources at a higher rate of effectiveness than if you were to say, well, no, I'm just going to give you what I think you need and that should be enough for you to be successful. Mm. So without question, empathy is important in leadership, especially if we want to attract the talent we need to, to succeed as an organization. You need to show people, look, I'm not just going to be there handing you out assignments and I don't care what difficulties you're going to face. I want to understand what is it that I need to provide you as a leader for you to be successful. Yeah. Especially in today's diverse workplace, right? Um, even in startup culture, not just in, in, in large corporations, you have, uh, I mean, this is the, in my point of view, this is the determining factor between um, a successful team uh, versus an unsuccessful team. Um, I think it's I mean, I mean, leaders that have understood me working for them were the leaders that I have never forget forgotten. And they are leaders that continuously uh, present me with opportunities despite uh, our parting ways, right? And I feel that in a, in a world where we have, um, uh, in a world where the loneliness is at an all-time high, um, I feel that this interpersonal connection builds an inherent sense of loyalty between um, a subordinate and a leader. And uh, just to back up your point, I totally agree with that. Um, so we'll head, we'll head, we'll head now to our final question, which is, uh, which is my personal favorite, to be honest. Uh, what are the misconceptions of leadership that must be changed for effectiveness in the workplace? And how could you describe a leader that simply gets it in the 21st century? <laughs> well, I think we've kind of been uh, addressing it in various ways. And as I said, unfortunately, um, it's still prevalent that I think a lot of leaders still tend to, and I, I can't fault them because, again, if you think about regardless of where you are in the organization, we're all expected to get more done in our days, to be more productive. And, and honestly, unlike our parents, our workday doesn't end at five. We can't leave the office walls and boom, you know, I don't know what's happening now. You know, it could be something, there could be a major disaster, a client could be upset because we didn't deliver the right product or service. Well, I guess we'll find out tomorrow morning. That's unheard of. In our reality, you never leave work, right? Work follows you because it's on your smartphone. It's, it's on, it's in every connection you have. You get a text message from your boss on a, fr on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. It's, you're constantly on. Mm. Um, so I think because of the nature of that environment, I think the problem we have with a lot of leaders is that there can be this myopic focus on what is it that I need from my employees, from my staff, for me to get the various things that are on my plate done so I can just breathe. Mm. And because of that focus on just, look, I just need you to supply this report. I just need you to get this presentation done. I need you to answer that email from this client. I need you to contact so-and-so mm. and find out what's the holdup on getting us not being able to finish shipping out the rest of our product and so forth. Um, because of that focus on our getting self done, we're tuning out the needs of our employees. We're not connecting with them. What is it the kind of work I need to provide my employees to stretch them? right? They started in this position. Okay. You've been in this position for about a year or two. 
Are you still stretching? Are you still growing? Because I need you to become what you were doing a year, two years ago. I don't want you to keep doing it. I want you to do more. So how do I challenge you in a way that doesn't just benefit me because I need somebody to do this. I need you to feel challenged to do something you want to do because I know you're going to deliver your best in doing that new work. Mm. So I think that's the big challenge that we have with leaders right now. And I think the leader of the 21st century is one who's going to get that. That to get that, your goal is not to say, I have to find people who have a certain skill set, who have a certain background, because I can bring them in, I can assign them part A of project X, and then that's done. I just assign it to them. But really realize that your goal is, in in essence, to create a community, for lack of a better word. One where you're corralling people around a common vision common purpose, something that people say, I want to be a part of this. I want to make this my life's ambition. And because I know I can contribute in a manner that's, that will help this move forward. Now I might not stay with this organization like my parents did for 20, 30 years. I might only be here for three years, but in those three years that I'm here, I'm going to help build a foundation. I'm going to help build the first level, the first stage that others will come on when I leave and continue to build on so that whatever successes you have in the future, it's because I was there to help build the foundation Mm -hmm. for it. And I can go off and use what I've learned to join another company that's already got the foundation and say, okay, I now want to build on the next tier, the next level. So I think that's what a leader of the 21st century is going to be somebody who understands. I don't need to have people to come in here to help me get certain tasks done. I want to create a vision and create opportunities for people to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to contribute because where I am in my life, this is the kind of work I need to do to feel like I'm making a difference. And then knowing that after a point, okay, I fulfilled that objective and now I need to pivot to something different to continue to build on what it is that I see as my value. Mm. And I'm going to go off and do that somewhere else with another leader who's going to say, oh yes, come join our vision, come join our community of what we're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. here in organization. So I think leaders are going to be less task oriented and more community builders. Mm -hmm. And essentially um, leaders will work for their subordinates instead of the other way around. Right. I think that. Absolutely. I think it's, it's the recognition that you're there to empower your employees to bring their best because without them, what are you accomplishing? Mm -hmm. I mean, all the accomplishments any leader has created has only come about because they had people around them who believed in that vision and said, you know what, I want to help make that a reality. And I mean, if you don't believe me, take Winston Churchill, take Nelson Mandela, take Martin Luther King, remove them from the people that surrounded them and ask yourself, could they have achieved the things that we look back upon them and say, wow, what a great leader they were without all the people around them, not just within their inner circle, but everyone outside that inner circle Mm -hmm. who said, this person has a vision, they have a sense of purpose, I want to be a part of, and I want to help to transform the reality we face today to this better vision that they're portraying because I believe in it and I can see there's something I can contribute to that to make it reality. Mm -hmm. And we, once you realize that, you realize, yeah, without having people who believe in what we're trying to create and we're creating an environment where they're delivering their full selves because they're feeling a sense of belonging, then it doesn't matter what kind of vision we have will never come to pass. I love that. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd actually like to ask one final question and it revolves around the youth revolution that we're currently living in. 
um, I'd like I'd like you to comment on what you're seeing uh, with the change uh, of dynamic that we're seeing currently in today's uh, modern day and age. I mean, with Greta Thunberg leading a, a global climate change movement, um, you know, leaders are now <laughs> considered leaders as 16 years old, right? Um, I'd like to I'd like you to comment on that on that note. Well, I think it's a, a great thing. I mean, here's people who, whether it's uh, Greta Thunberg, uh, whether it's people who are uh, fighting, uh, like uh, Malala Yousafzai, who's fighting for the rights of women to get an education and to contribute to their society, whether it's kids in the United States fighting for gun control so they don't feel uh, worried that when they go to school, they might not come home. Um, I think it's great that these kids recognize that they have power in their voices. Um, and I think it's important as adults that, again, going back to the theme of this show about empathy, it's not about under, it's not about us saying whether they are right or wrong. It's about empathizing with their reality because their reality is fundamentally different from ours. I mean, if you think about, for example, Malala, for a lot of us, the idea of thinking uh, a child could not get an education or feel threatened to getting education just because she's a girl, which it's very alien for a lot of us, right? But if we empathize with her, and which a lot of us can do because we understand the importance of this, that it becomes easier for us to make a connection to them. And I think the same thing with someone like Greta Thunberg. We need to, it's it's not a question of whether you agree or not, which frankly, as someone who comes from a science background, I don't know what there is to agree on it. I think the biggest <laughs> problem I have is when someone asks me, and I've actually asked my kids this, and they thankfully had the right response. I, I, don't, I don't believe in climate change. I tell people that. Look, if you ask me, no, I don't believe in climate change. And I, any more than I don't believe in the moon. They're like, oh, so you don't think the moon exists? No, the moon exists. Whether I believe in it or not is irrelevant. It exists. It's not a question of belief. Like, I believe the weather will be better tomorrow, but I don't know for sure because it's not tomorrow. I don't know, right? We can forecast. But you can't say, oh, do whether you believe in climate change or not. It's a scientific certainty, right? So I think with someone like her, it, I think it's about empathy, understanding their reality. Look, if you're like in your 50s or 60s, you're thinking about your retirement savings. That's your reality. You're thinking about your grandkids, right? Yeah, it's true. It's so That's true. your reality. But for her, she's thinking, what is the world going to be like when I'm your age? And based on the forecasting models, it's not looking good. So we have to understand, of course, someone like Greta is going to be this alarmed by it because she's thinking about her future. And as adults, I think... It's about empathy and understanding why is there this concern amongst the youth of the world for this and not treating it being like, well, they're just, what do they know? They're, they're young children and so forth. I, I'm a fan of, of, of uh, ancient history, especially Egyptology. And I always tell people, you said, you know, all these people we look back upon like King Tutankhamun and we're like all admired. Oh my God, it's so amazing what he did. He was 14 when he ran the Egyptian empire. And that was normal. That was normal. For them, the average lifespan, they lived about 35. So for them to take the throne at 14 was normal. I mean, and it's true of ancient, uh, even old European history. A lot of their kings and so forth were kings at 16. And it was normal. 
right? It was normal. It's only from our modern lens that we think a 16-year-old doesn't have anything of importance to say. Yeah. And I think that's a lack of empathy. I think if you empathize and basically saying, I want to understand your reality, it makes it easier for us to have genuine conversations as opposed to having this divisive conversations where it's a binary. I'm right, you're wrong, and that's it. There's no in-between. First of all, I loved how you brought Egyptology. I I am from Egypt personally, so that kind of like struck. <laughs> well, there you go. That 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 hit me off guard. And yeah, and 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 with all that you're saying, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to me, I, for me, I'm personally a mental health ambassador. And 20 years ago, the world. Uh, I mean, uh, 2010, the World Health Organization said by 2020, uh, depression would be the leading cause of disability. And it's no surprise it, it is currently right now. And uh, we are having major conversations. Uh, in mental health and uh, whether 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 we believe what's going to happen in the future or not that's i think the message is extremely powerful and understanding uh, others concern because um once we understand we can reach to better conclusions and we can really figure solutions out instead of headbutting one another and, and causing co unnecessary conflict whether that be through religious uh, uh, conflict whether that be through you know inter 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 um, political conflict or conflict between governments or it just social conflict i think that empathy um as the show's theme uh, really points out i i really wanted to bring the fact that when we understand one another we can connect on a deeper level and therefore win a much more uh, better quality life for ourselves and for others first and foremost so um right now we're gonna head into what i call the entertaining segment of the show uh we have three segments we're gonna start with the fireball segment and it's gonna be one minute uh where i'm gonna be firing questions uh, right at you and it, i hope we don't uh catch you off guard it's 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 my favorite part of the show personally and then we'll head on to the reflection then the legacy segment um whereby i'll, I'll be asking you one question um based on a reflection and one question based on a legacy that you'd like to leave um so with that being said i'm just gonna adjust my timer uh for one minute and uh we'll be set to go perfect are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's your biggest fear? Oh boy. Uh, biggest fear? Uh, I'd say probably not living up to my potential of what I could do to help others. Favorite sport? Be a good dad. Favorite sport? Hockey. Favorite color? Uh, favorite color? Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with brown. Let's go with brown. <laughs> favorite quote? <laughs> Oh boy, favorite quote. Oh God. Uh, oh God. Uh, 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 um, um, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Proudest achievement. Sorry, I'm blanking. Proudest achievement. Proudest achievement. Easy. Being a dad. Favorite motivational no, speaker. Down. Favorite motivational speaker. Nelson Mandela. If you could be one thing in the world, what would you be? <laughs> Is it? You know what? I'd say astronaut. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Earth from space. So yeah, an astronaut. Your favorite book? <laughs> oh, tie everyone yeah, off. Uh, everyone. Favorite book? Oh, well, too bad. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say for that. I really wouldn't know. I try to think. I don't know. Leadership vertical. I, there's so many books. 
No, <laughs> I couldn't say that. I'm it's just, a good book, but I don't know if I call it my favorite. Uh, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> my publisher will not be happy about that. <laughs> uh, now, like this is this is why I love this part of the show, right? We we sort of dive in a little bit deeper, and I think that. At, at the root core of, of, of empathy is, is, is really understanding that we're human beings. And when we can sort of go a little bit deeper beyond the surface, I, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, we can laugh, have a joke and still understand that people, uh, no matter who you may think, uh, whether that person may be an NBA player or a boss, at the end of the day, we're human beings and we are approachable. So when we figure things out about people that we may really look up to, it sort of breaks this inner barrier of seeing them in, in another higher place that we can't ever reach. And that's really the purpose that I put in uh, the Fireball segment. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to dive into the re- reflection part of the, uh, of, of this, of the show. I'm going to ask you one question and um, it, it's going to take a little bit of, uh, of thinking, but I hope it, uh, it, it can serve the purpose of uh, empathy always wins. If you could go back in time, what's one thing you would tell the 15-year-old Tanvir that you would do differently? Um, oh, boy, it's a good question. I mean, I often see people being asked this. I never really think about it for myself. I tend to not be, I tend to be a forward thinker. I don't tend to dwell. I, I use the past more for lessons learned than to regrets. I think, you know, honestly, uh, one thing, because it's, pro- it's something I've been telling my daughters, uh, is not to, not to rush, you know, jumping from your education into career. That it's important, and I think, yeah, it's important that you make time that once you spent so much of your life in school and you're going to spend so much of your life in, at work. And like I said, unlike our parents, work is something that's now a very dominant part of our lives. We have, for a lot of us, we struggle to have free time. So I think it's important you make time for yourself before you transition from being a student to an employee that you say, you know what, I'm going to spend this time pursuing my passions if it's travel if it's i've always wanted to learn how to cook i've always wanted to learn how to you know repair a car whatever it is whatever curious thing that you have that you know has nothing to do with what you want to do with your life it's just something you're curious about i would tell you and i would have told myself because i didn't do that i literally jumped from one degree to another i actually even had to take time off when i was doing my masters to go graduate with my undergraduate and then I had to take time off work to go graduate from my graduate school because I gave myself a week in between both. Wow. Because I was just so driven uh, to say, I just got to keep pushing myself. I got to keep pushing myself to deliver. And I think it's important we make time for ourselves. Mm. And to your point about mental health awareness, I think that's one of the things that's critical to that is that we have to we have to make time for ourselves. Mm. Uh, we have to make time for, to just be with our thoughts and and try to assess who we want to be and how we want to what we want to do with our talents and stuff. Yeah. So that's probably what I would tell my 15-year-old self because I tell it to my daughters. Yeah. And I'm actually very happy because uh, like off the record you did mention you are taking uh, to two weeks for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah. So Yes. It, it's funny because to me it resonates even more knowing that you're 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 practicing what you're preaching uh, right now. Mm. So again, I really appreciate that. And um with what you're saying, it really resonates with me uh, simply because I just graduated in June 
And uh, I've always been passionate about, you know, empowering people and, and, uh, and youth leadership, especially as a mental health sort of ambassador, starting the first mental health magazine in, in the Middle East. And uh, you know what? I, I, I am following what you're saying and, and I'm trying to, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I've actually gotten a couple of offers and it's, it's okay to say um, not yet uh, and take a year off and give yourself a, give yourself time to discover what you're good at and, 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 be it traveling, be it starting a new podcast just like this one, be it, you know, following <laughs> or pursuing something that you really deeply care about. Um, I think it's essential for your personal growth. Um, and, and, and I'd like your, your opinion as well with, with, with how it translates directly into your, into your professional growth. Well, it translates a lot because, again, uh, having teenage daughters, this question keeps coming up of, because uh, they're they all are going to experience it at different stages of what they want to do with their lives mm. right like because uh, you know when you're in high school and elementary school your charts pretty much plotted out then when you hit university well now you got to figure out what degree you want because that's going to inform what you're going to do for the rest of your life yeah and so this is where it becomes challenging because for a lot of kids and it's understandable at that age you don't know what you want to do plus we're working towards a reality where now it's normal people to change in positions. I mean, for me, that's the funny thing. I mean, I did it 10, 15 years ago. That was the nature of my work uh, in life was that after a couple of years, I would pivot and say, I want to do something completely different. And at the time, it was looked upon like almost an aberration, like I don't understand. It's like you don't know what you want to do. And I'm like, no, I don't know what I want to do now. But once I'm doing it, I enjoy it. And I enjoy it for a little bit, but then I want to do something different. And the only way I could get people to understand it was just to say, look, I'm like those Renaissance men who like, well, first they're doing pottery and now they're designing buildings. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not related, but these people wanted to explore these different facets of who they are and their skills and what they could do. Um, and now we know that's going to be normal for the Gen Z. They are going to be not just shifting from one company to another, but literally shifting what position, what kind of work they're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, and I think if that's going to be the reality, I think it's important that people have time to figure out what is their purpose. Mm. I mean, again, you can figure this out at any point in time in your life. But if you're a Gen Z, I mean, I think once you finish school, it's a perfect time to figure out what is it that I want to do? What is it that's going to make me feel like I'm making something with my life? And then every time an opportunity comes along, you can view it from that angle of, does it answer this thing that I want to do? And if it does, great, pursue it. And if it doesn't, then you don't. Mm. Well, I love that. I think that's a, that's a rubric for, for our listeners right there. I think it's a, it's a, there's, I mean, nothing is really black or white, but this really clears up a lot of the gray area, right? Um, mm. Heading into the final section of the show, the legacy question. In a hundred years time, what would be the title of your self-titled book? And what would be written on the blurb or the back matter of the book? If you were to have a book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, uh, I'm trying not to be. Tr it's hard because you don't want to sound Legacy. self. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, Go for it. I don't know. Uh, the title would be uh, "Living a Life of Purpose." I think because that's been my main drive. Is that whatever I do, 
I, I want to do it not because, oh, it's going to lead to these accolades. It's going to lead to people saying, oh, I'm so uh, impressed you're working with this. My drive is that. And then I think the blurb would be uh, that I was driven to want to do something with my life where I was making a difference in the small little wedge of the pie, slice of pie that is our, our humanity. For the little part that I have influence or that I am responsible for, that I was driven to use whatever God-given talent, skills, insights I have to make a difference, to improve the lives of others. Mm. I love that. And I also think you're very humble. <laughs> I think you're very humble because uh, well, I, I think I'm going to write your book. <laughs> Yeah, you might have to write it because I, I don't know. I mean, you're these are great questions. I'm not no discredit to you, but it's just like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never, um, I just I've never really thought. It's like the biggest compliment, and I think the biggest thing that makes me feel like okay, good. I'm glad that I've, uh, I I was successful is when people say uh, I felt inspired to go change something about myself I, to, to realize my full potential. I, I think when I hear that, I feel like, okay, I, I did something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I helped. Again, going back to what I said at the beginning when you asked me about how I started, it, that's, the, that's the thread. And again, this, it's the craziest thing for people who think like, well, how do I find that out? I had to find that out standing on a stage because somebody <laughs> raised their hand and said, I'm curious to know how you got your start. Yeah. And right in front of like 3,000 people, I'm having this moment of self-realization and going like, oh my God, I didn't, I, I didn't, I hadn't thought about this. And I actually sought the person out and said, thanks for asking that question. You really got me to think about what I'm doing. And actually, it's what led to the TED Talk that I gave because that was the message I wanted to share with others to hope that, you know, they would come to the same kind of realization because I really believe all of us, all of us have a purpose. And some of us have been fortunate to find it out. Others haven't. But just because you haven't doesn't mean you don't have one. Yeah. And it's so important to realize that, you know, you can, you can search for that purpose without having to you know, pay thousands to go on trips that, you know, because here's the, here's the fad of these that like, I find, especially within my friends these days, a lot of people, it's normal to be lost. It's okay to be lost. But I think that what it's not okay is to give up. Uh, I think the life is, mm. is a process. It's a, it's a constant search. And I, and I mean, hearing what you have to say, it, it doesn't seem like you've gotten there yet, even though you have a published book that is very successful and your inks top 100 leaders and all these really cool accolades. It, it, it also seems as though, from what I'm hearing, that you're still not there yet. And and, and a no. lot of people aren't even there yet. No, neither is Justin Bieber, and nor are a lot of people who we may think have aced it and, and, and have really done uh, done it all. So with that, on that note, I really want to say thank you so much for for, for coming on Empathy Always Wins. And I, I'm elated with, uh, with your response and with the energy that you've presented. And I hope our listeners can really take away the message here that as a, as a leader in the 21st century, empathy, uh, leading with, a, with an open heart, uh, with a soft front, yet a strong back is the way to go. So thank you so much, Tanvir. Oh, my pleasure. And just to echo Ali, I think it's important people realize that you should never feel you're done. I don't think I'm done. I don't think I'm there yet. Like if you were to say, well, I'm not there yet. I still have a long way to go. And I think honestly, I'm hoping I never lose that feeling. 
I really generally hope that I'm always feeling that hunger to say I need to do more. Yeah, it's uh, I always say it's, it's it's all about who you surround yourself with, right? Because um, feeling that you sort of might, I mean, the only way I personally and I would need need you to reinforce that is I, I, I sort of have to be very mindful of my environment to keep up with 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 my lifestyle and the way I think to be able to continue uh, pursuing what I am pursuing. And uh, I believe that that is uh, the, the way for real personal fulfillment and growth as well. So really appreciate it. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, again, as I said, I think leaders of the 21st century are going to be community builders. So our personal development and growth is going to be contingent on where we choose to find our sense of belonging because it's going to be around people who are going to enable us to be our better selves. So completely concur with you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. My pleasure, Ali. It was great to be here. <laughs> Please feel free to join our conversation by hashtagging empathy always wins on social media. But for now, here's a quick message. I'd like to say thank you so much, Tamvir, for being on this episode and making it such a blast with not only your sense of humor, but the value that you had to offer with what true leadership really means for us in the 21st century. And last but not least, I'd like to say thank you. Yes, you, the listener, listening from anywhere in the world. Again, it's such a pleasure having you on board, supporting our cause, building a community of 21st century change makers for the generation that is yet to come. Thank you so much for tuning in. Empathy always wins. We appreciate your support. Until next time, just remember, in life and in business, empathy always wins. <laughs>